stuff. All right. Well, a businessman was late for an important meeting, and he, he couldn't find a parking space, and, and so he was frantically, he was circling the block, you know, and, and he got so desperate that he decided to pray. Well, looking up toward heaven, he said, Lord, take pity on me. If, if you find me a parking space, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life, and not only that, I'll give up drinking. You ever pray those prayers? Miraculously, a parking space appeared. So the guy looked up to heaven again and said, never mind, I found one. Well, this is week two of our sermon series on prayer, which we're calling Ask, an invitation into the wonder and mystery of prayer. Jesus was praying one day, and, and his disciples were apparently listening in on him, watching him, because when Jesus finished praying, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, in some ways, that seems like a strange request, because Jesus' disciples were, were Jewish. Uh, they had been praying since they were kids. They, they no doubt did so several times a day. That would have been normal back then. But one reason they would have asked Jesus that, to teach them to pray like John did, was because each rabbi back then taught his disciples to pray particular prayers. So they were asking Jesus to teach them his prayer, just like John the Baptist had taught his disciples what to pray. Kind of like, what's our team prayer, Jesus? What are we supposed to pray? But I suspect there was more to the question, too. It wasn't just what Jesus prayed that they were asking about. There was something different about how Jesus prayed, and that also is what they wanted to learn. So as we continue in this series, we're going to be looking at that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples as a way to teach us how to enter more deeply into that wonder and mystery of prayer. Andrew Wilson, who's a pastor in England, wrote a few years back in Christianity Today magazine that most of us pray the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, backwards. Yeah, the prayers we pray most often tend to be those toward the end of the Lord's Prayer, like, Lord, help me, save me, deliver me, right? Or please forgive me, I'm sorry, or please give me this job, fix my marriage, bless my children. They're all prayers about wanting God to do something for us. And they're, of course, good prayers to pray. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus taught us that prayer begins not with what we want God to do, but with who God is. He taught us to begin our prayer from the place of our relationship with him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Ready? Woo, let's pray. <laughs> I like enthusiasm. It's good. Oh, Lord, we do want to learn to pray as you taught your disciples to pray. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us, um, work in us. Give us uh, not just vision and information, but give us the passion, Lord, to, to pray in a way that, that draws us into more of our relationship with you. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, come, work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses Five to eight to begin. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking and he said, 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, we live in a world that has been shaped by consumerism. It is so much a part of the air that we breathe that we don't even notice it most of the time. It's just the way the world is. Years ago, our our, our church was involved in a, a missionary partnership in Lithuania, and I remember the first time I went to Lithuania. That's me over there with some of the Lithuanian group that we visited, uh, Uh, We were on a mission trip. It was in the mid-90s. And at that point, Lithuania had only been independent from the Soviet Union for a few years. And in those few years, their economy had already tanked three times. So it was a poor country at that point. There was very little to buy in the stores. I was only there, I think it was a week or 10 days or so on that trip. But even so, when I came back to the United States, It was culture shock. There was so much stuff in our stores, and there was so much variety. I mean, I remember going into, I don't know if it was pick and save or whatever, and looking at the the cereal aisle and just being overwhelmed. So many choices. Now, I use Amazon all the time. So obviously, I don't think everything about our consumer culture is bad, right? Has a lot of benefits. But it definitely does have some downsides. Back before the Industrial Revolution, you used to know who made the shirt that you wore or the chair that you sat on. So we had this personal connection to the things that we owned. But over the centuries since then, that has largely been lost. What matters now, uh, instead of this story that connects what we own to a person, instead of, instead of that connection to a person, what matters now is getting the best possible product at the lowest possible price in the fastest possible time, right? We like that. Instead of valuing the people who produce something, we value the product. And even more so, we value what we get from the product. That's consumerism. And the problem is that consumerism trains us to see not just our possessions, but also all of creation around us and even other people as a means to getting what we need and want, a means of personal gain. And consumerism can even shape our relationship with Jesus. It can shape the way we pray. Apparently, this isn't just a modern problem because it's what Jesus starts out warning against when his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. The people Jesus called hypocrites were trying to get something by praying. Prayer for them was a means of achieving status in their case, status in the eyes of other people. 
The Gentile pagans, who he talked about heaping up empty phrases, were doing the same thing. They were using prayer to try and get their pagan gods to give them what they wanted. Both were consumers of prayer, consumers of God, you could say, trying to use prayer as a means of personal gain. And apparently, Jesus didn't think that's what prayer is for. Instead, Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying there that you should never pray in public. So dang to all of you who always look down when I say, who wants to pray? <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Not an out for you. Yeah. Nor is he saying that you should never ask for what you want or need, obviously, because he teaches us to do that later, right? But Jesus is saying, don't pray like a consumer. Don't use prayer just as a means to get stuff or just to get life to work the way you want. The reward that your Father will give you is first and foremost himself. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. If you've read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, most people have read that, right? A lot of people anyways, or you know the story. You, You know that in the story, the wardrobe was a doorway into Narnia, into a whole nother world that these kids went, they went through the wardrobe, end up in Narnia and have this whole other world to live in. Well, prayer is kind of like that, except that where prayer takes us isn't, isn't to a place. Prayer takes us to a person, to God. Through prayer, we are meant to come and explore and to come to know the heights and the depths and the length and the breadth of who God is. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. So reading on the next verse, Jesus is talking, and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The prayer Jesus taught us begins with remembering who God is, our Father in heaven. And the interesting thing is that when we, when we remember who God is, that reminds us of who we are too, as well as of who we are to each other. We've grown accustomed to calling God Father, right? doesn't seem strange to us. But I think it would be helpful if we could recapture just a little bit of the shock that must have been when the disciples first heard Jesus say it, especially since the word Jesus used wasn't a formal name. Father sounds kind of formal when we say that, right? But the word Jesus used was Abba. And Abba is this intimate term. It's not quite daddy. It's not like a childish term, but it's very definitely intimate. The big question back then was not, does God exist? Things like the pillar of fire and splitting the Red Sea had made that pretty clear. Just about everyone believed some kind of God existed. The question was, 
Is God knowable? Is God approachable? And not just by special people, right? Not just by Moses or Elijah or David or whoever, but by regular people like you and me. The real temptation of Adam and Eve by that serpent back in Genesis 3 wasn't just to break the rules and eat the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. The real temptation was to doubt the character of God, to doubt his goodness, to doubt his love for them, to doubt that they could trust him completely, to doubt that they could really know God. And it seems to me that is still our primary temptation today, kind of the root temptation behind everything. And in that story, when Adam and Eve believed the serpent and doubted the character of God, they lost their sense of who they were, too. They forgot that they were beloved children of God who were made in his image. They thought they had to do something to become like God. That's what the serpent had told them. Not remembering that that's how God had made them. That's who they already were. And when they forgot who they were, they forgot who they were to each other, too. They began to bicker and accuse and to hide, which pretty much describes our world today. And there's all sorts of therapies that you can pursue today, all sorts of ways to strengthen your sense of self and to build better relationships and to work toward peace and harmony in our world. And and no doubt, all of them are helpful in different ways. But if we look at the state of our world as a whole, it seems clear to me that something is still missing. Anxiety, depression, alienation, polarization, these things are all off the charts. Could it be that we've forgotten who we are to each other because we've forgotten who we are because we've forgotten who God really is? Perhaps we have reduced God and prayer to being a means to an end to being something we consume as a way of achieving the best possible life at the lowest possible cost at our earliest convenience? And could it be that what we really need more than anything is to know God deeply and intimately? Well, prayer is the doorway into knowing God. So Jesus calls us back to pray like he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer begins not with me and not with what I need, not with what I want God to do for me. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. So prayer begins with God. Remembering who God is. Abba Father who loves me. Abba Father who's in heaven above all things, greater than all things, ruling over all things, worthy of all of our praise and worship. Abba Father, who in his great love and infinite wisdom works through all things for our good rather than simply dishing out to us what we think we need. 
And so, God, is Abba Father, whom we can trust absolutely, whether or not we understand what he's doing all the time. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. So prayer begins with remembering who God is and hallowing his name. To hallow is to make holy, to set apart, to consecrate. Now, we don't use the word hallow very much these days. Uh, probably the closest English equivalent would be to honor. We honor God by proclaiming who he is. And it isn't just that we remember who God is and then we begin to hallow him. As we hallow him, whether or not we feel like doing so, whether or not we're even sure if we believe totally what we're saying, something happens in us. We remember that this really is who God is. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. So I pray, our Father, you are my Abba. You are the one who loves me. You are the one who knows me. You are the one who cares for me. You are the one I can trust. You are the creator of all things. You are the holy one. You are the righteous one. You are the great and mighty and merciful God. You are king of kings and Lord of lords. You are the savior of the world. And if I want some help with how to hallow him, I could pray one of the Psalms, like Psalm 147. So how about if we hallow his name together with Psalm 147? We'll pray this together. Ready? Praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praises to our God, for it's pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Amen, right? Praise the Lord. Hallowed be his name. Hallowing is a choice we make. It isn't always or even usually something we do because we can't help ourselves, right? Uh, sometimes that is the case. But often it's just something we have to choose to do. In fact, hallowing may be most powerful when we are least inclined to do it. And hallowing is not for God's benefit, right? He doesn't need it. It's for ours. As I hallow God's name, something happens in me. Change begins to happen in me. Hallowing takes me out of that place of consumeristic prayer and centers my attention on God. Hallowing is an act of rebellion against the empty promises of this world. Hallowing rejects the lies that tell me God is unloving, uncaring, unaware, impotent, or maybe not even real. Hallowing aligns me with what is true. And in the process, I remember who God is. And I'm drawn deeper into that intimate relationship with my Father, my Abba. Prayer is a doorway into knowing God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
I've been a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus for uh, almost 50 years now, 50 years this fall. It's amazing. I am still blown away sometimes by the realization that the God of all creation, the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God, wants me to call him Abba. God doesn't want to simply be a means for me achieving what I think is the best life possible. God wants me to know him like he already knows me. I realize I've only scratched the surface of that, so I want to keep opening myself to receiving God's love and enjoying his presence. So I want to keep growing in my prayer life. Prayer is the doorway into knowing God. Amen? Amen. So we're going to continue in worship through celebrating the Lord's Supper.